0: Screaming Silence It was a cold and chilly night. A man woke up in the middle of the night around 3.30am and lit a little lamp to write something on his writing pad. It was Matthew, who lives in Schrody, a small town near Amsterdam in the Netherlands. It was the 16th century and Amsterdam was under the rule of King Benedict. Matthew was a scholar, writer and philosopher. He was an active participant against the ill policies of Benedict's rule. He clashed with the current course of politics and society. There were many other writers also in the city, but they used to write their article praising King's policies and rule. Due to their needlessness, they used to receive rewards and titles from the king's court. On the other hand, Matthew stood alone against the king's ill rule. He used to write articles of revolt against the king's rule in the weekly journal called the Amsterdam Journal. And due to this, he was arrested at least three to four times. But he continued his writing. Matthew had mass support. The people of Amsterdam knew he was right. He was fighting for the welfare and right of the common people. They were with him. Benedict, on the other hand, was reckless and believed in living an extravagant and lavish life. He was least concerned about the welfare of the people of his state. Matthew became a well-known figure. And the people had full faith and support for him. And they looked up to him for a change, a revolutionary change. He was a hero of the masses. Everybody liked him, except one person. That was his wife, Ozita. Ozita used to scold and curse Matthew for whatever he was doing. Though she was not concerned about the articles, which she used to write, but she was only concerned about the condition of her family. Day by day, they were moving towards poverty. She used to blame him for their pathetic condition. She was unhappy with her life and blamed Matthew for this. But on the other hand, he used to explain to her that what he was doing was correct and for the welfare of everyone. But Uzita never paid any attention to this. She was frustrated with his idea of helping others. According to her, he ruined her life and was fit for nothing. In spite of the fact that osita hated Matthew, he always loved her. He knew he was right and one day or the other, Uzita will definitely understand his ideology. Matthew made several attempts to convince her but always failed to do so. One day, Matthew published an article in the Amsterdam Journal exposing the king's sex scandal. News reached Benedict. He immediately asked his kinsman to put Matthew behind bars. The order was obeyed and soon Matthew was in jail. After a week, he was sentenced to death. And as the news was known... There was an all-out revolt against the king by Matthew's supporters. For a week or two, the revolt continued, but the king didn't change his decision. Uzita was shocked to see such a following for her husband. She now began to realise the greatness of Matthew who always fought for the welfare of others. She was sad and started crying. This realisation came very late to her when everything was lost. Finally the day has arrived, when Matthew was to be hanged till death. Ozita, with the permission of the king, went to see her husband for the very last time. She was beside herself, she was crying, crying her eyes out, and whilst they were sitting in a small room, Matthew had a long beard by now, he was just looking at the other side of the wall. Ozita was crying, and she was so sorry that she'd done wrong on him, and said to him, Please forgive me, I'm sorry, I was a fool, who failed to understand a great man like you. Matthew never said a single word. He was calm and looking towards the wall. She pleaded with him to speak to her. He didn't utter a single word, he was silent. And with only ten seconds left, Matthew stood up and kissed her on her forehead and said, I always loved you and I always will. These were the last words that she heard from him. Matthew was taken away from her and she was left there crying. He was hanged to death. A great soul left the world, leaving behind him a cruel king his followers and a wife who lived the rest of her life in regret for not loving and understanding her great husband, Matthew. The End
1: Hello, my name is Michael Don Smith
0: and my name is Michael De Groot. And together,
1: we are bringing you the story of a speech podcast. Great. That was uh, the first of uh, Michael's stories. Really enjoyed that, Michael. And we'll be having one of those, usually at the beginning, may change in the future, but I love it. The idea is that we, we use these powerful stories in life, in business. Now, the last few podcasts we had were about the story of the speech, and the next five, we're going to look at speeches in movies. Now there, is, there are speeches speaking in movies that are called monologues, and there are some really great ones over time in movies and in plays, of course. So today I'm going to look at we're going to look at one of my favorites, which is, of course, Colonel Jessup's speech in *A Few Good Men*, which started, of course, uh, Who's was Colonel Jessup, Jack Nicholson, a young Tom Cruise, and it was one of the breakout movies for Debbie, Debbie Moore, I want to say. Is that the right name, Michael? I don't Is know. Debbie? I don't. <laughs> Debbie Moore. Debbie Moore. <laughs> Moore
0: <laughs> Debbie Moore. Yeah, and Debbie Kevin. Moore. Bacon's in there as well. And Kevin
1: Bacon, yes, without his other pack colleagues. Kevin Bacon was with uh, another pack. So, yes, it was a really um, important movie, and this speech is an important speech. So let's play you 1 minute 34 of pure cinema genius.
2: Santiago was a substandard marine. He was being transferred it's not what a... you said you said he was being transferred because he was in grave danger that's correct you right. said he was in danger i said grave danger you said is there I any recall other... what i, I said i can have the court reporter read back to you i know he... what i said i don't have to have it read back to me like and i'm why the two record. orders colonel Sometimes men take matters into their own hands. No, sir, you made it clear just a moment ago that your men never take matters in their own hands. Your men follow orders or people die. So Santiago shouldn't have been in any danger at all, should he have, Colonel? You snotty little bastard. Your Honor, I'd like to ask for a recess. I'd like an answer to the question, Judge. The court
1: will wait for an answer.
2: If Lieutenant Kendrick gave an order that Santiago wasn't to be touched, then why did he have to be transferred? Lieutenant Kendrick ordered the code red, didn't he? Because that's what you told Lieutenant Kendrick to do. Object! And when it went bad, you cut happened. these guys loose. <laughs> Your Honor, you a us inside a body transport. Your Honor, contempt. you doctored the logbook. Damn, it can't you coerced the doctor! Consider yourself in contempt. <laughs> Colonel Jessup, did you order the code red? You don't have to answer that question. I'll answer the question. You want answers? I think I'm entitled. To you them. want answers? I want the truth. You can't handle the truth. Son, we live in a world that has walls, and those walls have to be guarded by men with guns. Who's going to do it? You? You, Lieutenant Weinberg? I have a greater responsibility than you can possibly fathom. You weep for Santiago, and you curse the Marines. You have that luxury. Did you order the code red? I did the job. Did you order the code red? <laughs> You're damn right I did!
0: Wow, that was, that was amazing hearing that again. I, I really do enjoy it, and thank you for suggesting that particular clip. He, he's an amazing actor, I think.
1: <laughs> yeah. So what did you think of it then? What, what, if you had to sum up what that speech was about
0: well there's there's a huge amount going on and for me what was so amazing was his use of language um and it, it his choice of words was so appropriate for trying to get his message across and getting the audience on his side right so just for a moment Although he's done this terrible deed, whatever it is, um, and, San- and Santiago obviously died as a result of it, and he's obviously going to be charged for it, the thing is he manages just for a moment to get the audience on his side because of the language that he's using. Does
1: that make sense? Okay, what- yeah, it does. I'm, I'm not sure all of the audience would be on his side, because of course it's very military, but that was 100 percent his intention. Mm. And look at the structure of the, to support and to support your argument that if the intention of his speech was to get the audience, the courtroom, the judge, everybody to understand how important the task was that he carries out and why he should be left alone to do it. And therefore, it doesn't matter what um, Lieutenant Weinberg thinks, because it's, it's immaterial Because what he's doing so important. And in the structure A, B, C, the, the A is where you grab the attention of your audience and you create your authority. Then B, there's the body where you add the substance to support your intention, and then you close it with a call to action. So if you look at those three bits in his speech, he actually starts off, son, we live in a world that has walls, and those walls have to be guarded by men with guns. That first bit there, even the first word, son, is establishing authority, is rubbing attention. And then he makes it even powerful. So we live in a world that has walls. And then mm-hmm. after he's made clear his authority, then, he then asks the question, it's got to be God. Who's going to do it? You? You? Are you going to do it? So that's his introduction. That's the opening of the speech. Very powerful. Grabs your attention. It tells, almost says what he wants to happen. And then the rest of it, the next part, is where he establishes the reasoning the ground for that I have a greater responsibility than you have. You don't want the truth. You've got to handle the truth. We use words of like honor, code, royalty. And in fact, that's the body. The close is where he says, I have neither the time nor the inclination to explain myself to you because I, what I've done saves your life, keeps you safe. So what I'm going to do is ask you to say thank you and I can get up and go out because, you know, that my argument is so sound. Those call to action is basically either way, I don't give a damn what you think they're entitled to, I'm leaving out.
0: Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so, yeah, it is. it is perfect, like, how you teach it the a B C method in even you know the monologue in a in in a movie, somebody trying to get their point across and get the audience on their side and with for me the audience, although you're talking about the courtroom, for me it's the audience watching the movie right, so that's okay. me watching the movie, looking at it, you know knowing that he's a bad um a bad officer, but because of what he says and because he uses this color colourful language, you almost can't disagree with him. He's convinced think, me.
1: Yeah, I think you, you yeah, that was good. You need to use the word I and me because I was I mean, I, I don't know when you that sort the film, but obviously the bit, there's a there's a really important bit in that courtroom scene, which, which you can't see here, where the uh, interrogator, Lieutenant Weinberg, plays a trick on him. He says they found the flight log of the plane that took Santiago off the island, which is a, which is a, a ruse. He, there was no there's no such flight log, but it creates doubt in his mind. What we're saying is that because he arranged for this. Marine to be killed, murder, actually, that I, I have that in the back of my mind when I'm hearing his, his speech, that, you know, mm-hmm. you use words like honour, loyalty. I mean, well, you're not being very honourable. You're not very loyal to, loyal mm. because this Marine was under, under your care. Yes. It doesn't say it in this speech. So that was one of the things that I know. And he's, he's more, more interested in his own power and that's the point of his speech. It's saying, "I'm so powerful, I'm so you know I'm you know I'm the man that keeps the country safe. I should be able to do anything I want. So his argument is the, the end justifies the means?
0: Yes and that's uh, that's the point I'm making, though. And you're right. You've got a bit of memory of the movie. I don't, <laughs> and it has been a long uh, time. So I've. Watching this clip is almost for me or hearing it, because our podcast listeners are obviously hearing it. And that's even more powerful when you're just hearing the voice. But for me, even though he's in court and he's accused of murder or a crime that he's responsible for, and only he is responsible because he ordered the whatever code red.
1: Code oh, red, right, yeah. Uh,
0: the even though he's ordered it the words that he's using with his explanation, you've almost got to go, well, actually, maybe he is right. He was right to do it because he's right. You know, he's got a greater responsibility more than we can fathom. Um, We have the luxury of not knowing what he knows. Um, He... He's right that we're, you know, we sleep under a, this is, I mean, this one is just incredible. He says, I don't have to explain myself to a man who rises and sleeps under the blanket of the very freedom that I provide and then questions the manner in which I provide it. And he's 100% right. You know, we do, because of our military, because of our Navy, we do sleep under a blanket of freedom. But using that colourful language as well, and just putting in the storytelling element, because he's using that kind of language, I get these visual images. And, you know, so you can see the blanket of freedom um, around you, almost. You can see it physically. So the use of language is, is just superb, whoever has written
1: it. Yeah, it's brilliant. Uh, But are are we living in an era where Donald Trump is using the same style of rhetoric and pictures? In fact, his pictures aren't so much eloquent, but they are stark. You know, we're going to build a wall. Bam. There's no logic. There's no Mm. accountability. We're going to build a wall. And people, as you say, they see the wall. Yes. And they see this man who's going to do a war. So the blanket, so Colonel Jess's blanket is Donald Trump's war.
0: Yeah. They are, they, they, you're right. And they're probably, because we know the word metaphors, right? But what's being used in here and what Donald Trump uses as well is something called metonymy. And so it's a type of metaphor But the person who's hearing the description, the colourful language, you've actually got to work at it a little bit to really get the meaning of it. And by you having to work at it, it lands harder in your brain. You actually will remember it for longer. And you will, because you've actually had to use your brain power to make a better understanding of it. So when he says blanket of the very freedom, that doesn't, there is not such a thing. There is not a blanket made of freedom. It doesn't exist, right? But because he's using it, we all understand what he means by it.
1: Yeah, he keeps saying we all, but yeah, the majority of people, I get that. So just checking in with you. So a metaphor is where real objects that really exist are used to express or to represent the point. Yeah, he, my, to, he
0: runs like a rabbit, for example. Yes, yeah,
1: so, so a rabbit really exists. Yes. But to my economy, you're saying, that's where it's an imaginary thing. So you've actually got to... So everybody, in fact, visualises their own blanket. Yeah. Because my blanket is a patchwork quilt one. It's not a posh one like yours. Yours will be like a, <laughs> a really posh, uh, Marks and Spencer's blanket. <laughs> yeah.
0: <laughs> Mine's electric as well. <laughs>
1: Oh, yeah. <laughs> what, yeah. so I, I really get that. So by making that to work at it, creative, we've got to use our own neurology. So because we've built that piece and we've built that picture, it's harder to let go of something that you have created yourself. Mm. So that's, within, that's that's an excellent speech writing or storytelling tool there,
0: and it's filled. Go, back, go on. No, it's filled with those in the whole speech. You know. Yeah. Um, I mean, we live in a world that has walls, So, but where
1: are the walls? They,
0: they're, they're not there.
1: <laughs> they're not you, physical what, walls. And then he, may, he, he he emphasises or increases by saying, not only is there a wall, but you want me on that wall. You yes. need me on that wall. So you, if you hadn't got the wall the first time, he's making it so important. So, you know, we live in a world with walls. And and that, because that wall's there, we protect you with things you can't talk about. at parties, yes. So you know what? Not only is there a wall, but you want me on that wall. Yes. You need me on that wall. Yes. It's very very powerful, very persuasive language. So what? A couple of things though is why doesn't it land? Then why does why does why doesn't the judge in the courtroom go? Wow! Yeah, you're right. Well,
0: because obviously. Tom Cruise manages to, you know, get him angry through his questioning. So he comes out with this rhetoric, this particular monologue that we've just heard. And then at the end of it, he lands the punchline because he's in that rage and anger. He can ask him the question to get him to say yes to, which is, did you order the code red?
1: And and I agree. And the the other, the uh, the additional technique is he's not hypnotized by the rhetoric. Yes. You see, the speeches that I think the speech, okay, yes, it is a movie and the speech is to the audience and to the courtroom, but it's a battle between two men. It's the young upstart and the old general. Mm. And the young upstart plays to that, he plays to his weakness. He knows that by being, arrogant, being aggressive, being cheeky. He's not, he's not, this guy's just given this brilliant speech. We've examined it. Instead of how brilliant it was, He's got metonymy. Because this guy's an orator. He's had to lead men into war. He knows how to, so the the speech, the kind of speech he would have written with the full knowledge of how to write a speech. And he knows how powerful it's going to be. And he's waiting for this young man, son. Remember right at the beginning? Mm. Son. Son. Mm. Yeah, that's how it says it, son. You, you little green, you—you wet behind the ears. Don't you realize we live in a world that has walls? You, young, you just don't understand. You weep for Santiago and you curse the Marines. You have that luxury, son. So he's geared at disempowering um, the, the 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 guy who's Kathy or you know, the. Tom Cruise character is meant to scare him and let him wake up to the reality. What he's done is consistently, there's a part, again, it's not here, there's a bit big thing where he says, um, in fact, it's how the speech starts, isn't it? Mm. He says, um, Colonel Jessup, did you order the code red? And Colonel Jessup says, I don't have to answer that question. And the judge says, you, sorry, and, the judge says you don't, the judge tells Jessup he doesn't have to answer the question. Mm. Did you order the code red? He did, because to answer it would be to incriminate himself. On the yes. Fifth Amendment, you can't, you don't have to incriminate yourself. Right. So Kathy screams at him, cheeky, young upstart, and he says, did you order the code red in that insolent way? And he's begging to tell him that he is, you know, he wants to tell him, I'm, of course I ordered it. And the judge warns me, don't have to answer the question. Yeah. And Jessup says, I will answer the question. You want answers. And then he might have calmed down. He might have calmed down. But then Kathy, knowing he's on, he's on in the right area, he, he's even more cheeky. The, he said, "Ask him a question. The judge said, don't answer it. Comes up, says, I'm going to answer the question. He said, I'm going to answer it. And then Kathy says, I'm entitled to the answer. He goes, oh, my God, you want answers? Oh, I'm going to give you answers. And even then he doesn't let him go. He, goes, he carries on being cheeky. He goes, yeah, I want the answers, and I want the truth. So he goads him three times, and that's when the speech comes out. Yeah. So he set him up perfectly, so that, and then all he does is keep asking the same question and doesn't get hypnotized by the rhetoric. Hmm.
0: I mean, it is a great example that the level of confidence that Jessup conveys in his speech uh, monologue, that that arrogant confidence thus make it very believable. So I, I guess the lesson when you're listening to people who are speaking and oh my god i went i went to let me just share this quick story yeah. I, I know if i've already shared a story but this is just a, <laughs> this is this is a real life story i went to um venture fest in at the nec last friday thursday last thursday and there was a full day of kind of different events going on, Pitch Fest, and but there were a couple of keynotes that started off the day. They, um, we we need to get involved with this
1: event because they yeah, were
0: so bad. They oh were no. so bad.
1: You well, would so, have. Sorry, this is a podcast. They they could have done better.
0: Okay, they could <laughs> <laughs> scratch that, ignore that. Yeah. They, they could have been better. Yeah, they need they need a little bit of tuition. But it wasn't just the method of speaking. It was also the slides they were using and oh, the way they were communicating. Wow. And it wasn't just me. People were looking at me and kind of putting their eyes to heaven. Um, yeah. All sorts of things were going on, or I mean multiple. But... What, what what the point I'm trying to make it, it just made me think of that episode last week. The point I'm trying to make is that this kind of impact, this being if you wanted really people to hear your message um to have this level of confidence that he has in this
1: monologue,
0: you know there's something to be said for that
1: yeah and, and, and although we know that it was written. In, if, we go, if we enter the world of the movies, I like it because I can suspend my disbelief and believe that the character would have been able to construct a speech like this on the fly because he's given speeches to soldiers. He's had to sit down and write speeches before they go to war. You know, that's his, that's his job. It's a yes. big part of generals to motivate their staff. So he's actually pulled all his years of experience together to very, very quickly... Outline the why, where, why, what, when, where of why he's correct, and he's done it, and he's got away with it. He doesn't have to answer the question, and that speech would still have justified him to the courtroom. The courtroom were on his side, as you said. So mm-hmm. that that and what to although I wasn't that bench first, I find people because they have so much data, they try and convince their audience with data. He could have said the time of the plane. The, the, there's lots of dates, but he didn't use that because he's a leader. He's yeah. a general, so he uses the language mm. to get to get. You know, we use words like honor, code, loyalty. It is juxtaposed that against you go to parties, we go to war. You yes. know, all that's in there. And at these bond events, we've got PowerPoint slides. We've got Google. We can access everything, and we try and win our arguments with logic and with data, big data, big data. No, the reason that Instagram is a more powerful method of convincing your audience to buy your products than the television or the library, because Instagram is instant. It's a picture, bam, it's emotional. You know, why is Donald Trump getting more, um, more of his message across he was in Twitter. He can't spell. He can't write for dog poo. But because he's <laughs> constraint these characters, he's 244, now it's 288. He, he's, he's as good an as orator as anybody else in 288 characters. Yeah. Every time he attacks him, he replies. Go on, sorry.
0: Yeah. No, the, he's... He's made Twitter his channel of choice in terms of communicating his opinion, his feelings, his emotion, and showing kind of the raw side. This is the first time in modern history that a senior leader of, you know, or the leader of the free world is expressing himself and... In a way that people uh, like to think they understand, unfortunately, most of what he says are lies. They're, they're not all; they're, they're untrue. And there are people that have even been checking up on that and how many, you know, how many lies um, he's been saying since he's been in office. Uh, but people believe it because it's
1: written down. Well, it's more than that. It's the fact that it's so short. Yes, and, it, and, it, and it, if you look at different arguments, argument ad hominem, he, he uses all the arguments. So, argument ad hominem is argument to the person. So, someone will say that he's a liar, he's a cheat, he's a philanderer. Big long statement, they like, Yeah, but she's ugly.
0: <laughs>
1: and that's, that's his defense. His defense uh-huh. is, Yeah, but she, she's ugly. Yeah. And it plays to the base because people have got a big, massive stuff over there on one side and they've got, She's ugly. And they look at, her, Well, actually, she is. So, nothing think he's telling the truth. Or argument ad bellaculum, which is an argument of aggressiveness. You go, well, I'm Donald Trump. No, we'll, we'll put some, we'll shock and awe, we'll destroy the Koreans, we'll destroy them. No logic, no, or his tariffs. No, oh, the, the economy is this, we've got this many dollars for that, and thousands of pounds. We'll slap tariffs on them and force them to agree to us. The very brevity of what he's saying, he actually delivers arguments incredibly briefly and they they're on the scale outweighing well how much column inches have been written how many hours of film has been written about trump
0: the 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 reporters and journalists say they're overwhelmed by it they can't keep up with it the amount of it is so much they are struggling literally to keep up with it all
1: and he, on the other hand, is making all that happen with 288 characters. Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah. be it late night mornings, but he, he's in his own ways relentless because he, he just always responds. And so he's, he's in a battle where he's totally outgunned, totally outmanned, and they're still, they're still struggling to to cope with him.
0: Mm. Mm. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely.
1: We need, we, need a, and,
0: we need a. go on. But that, coming back to the movie and what Jessup is doing, is exactly that. That's what you're saying, just coming back yeah. to it. His, his rhetoric or his monologue is exactly doing by, by saying things that you can't actually disagree with. You're almost forgiving him his crime. Yeah. Almost. Because
1: you yeah, because you know, you don't he's just making statements, you know, even from the word of son, he's belittling him. We use words like honor, code, loyalty. We use always the backbone of a life spent defending something. You use them as a punchline. So it's denigrating the lawyer instead of the argument. Mm. And then he says, you know, and he wants to he says, I want an explanation, I deserve the truth. Because I don't have time to give you the truth, because I'm giving you freedom. Yeah, and that's what Donald Trump actually said. That he says, base, if he shot somebody in Times Square, they wouldn't even arrest him. That's how much—that's you know, how much they love him. So truth and justice goes out the window if you're powerful. If you—if if the other thing you're doing is so good.
0: So 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 I'll, I'll read an i exa- will read a tweet out, shall I?
1: Yeah, yeah, with Donald, yeah.
0: This is a good one. It says, the fake news media, I can't do his accent, but. The (laughs) fake news media, in particularly the falling, sorry, the failing New York Times, is writing phony and exaggerated accounts of the border detention centres. First of all, people should not be entering our country illegally, only for us to then have to care for them. We should be allowed to focus on, and then the second tweet, United States citizens first. And then he goes on and on and on. Border Patrol and other law enforcement have been doing a great job. We said there was a crisis. The fake news and the Democrats said it was manufactured. Now all agree we were right, but they always knew that. And then he goes on and on and
1: on. all that part, couldn't we? Because the crisis is, he's made the crisis. There's mm. never been so many people at the board since he started. Yes. So there, you know, it wasn't a crisis before he started. But now, he, and and again, it's denigrated the failing New York Times. Yeah. Just, yeah, the guy is so accurate in his argument. But argument doesn't, just because you've got an argument doesn't mean that you're telling the truth.
0: No, but because he's saying people should not be entering a country illegally, you can't argue with that.
1: Yeah, it's true.
0: Yeah. Right? <laughs> you can't. Yeah, that's true. People shouldn't be entering illegally. So therefore, but there's more,
1: there's more entry illegally than when he started telling them they shouldn't enter illegally, though. Yeah. Oh, God. Okay. So...
0: Um, back to Jack Nicholson then yeah um the 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 one thing for me that or obviously the writer but I'm putting it back to him is is just to circle back what I said right at the beginning his use of the language the colorful language that he uses the metonymies that he uses um which is a type of metaphor where you're having to do lot of the work um to make sense of it is it's just brilliant a brilliant example and visually and you may have a comment on this but you create images in your brain or in your head by listening to some of the things like the walls like men with guns um
1: you know yeah yeah, yes so i think i i do a lot of um speaker trainers and people talk about speech that took they they create a universal truth that words become pictures. Yes. But not pictures. some people words trigger feelings or trigger for instance when, when I hear the word wall, it does I don't see um now I'm thinking about it, I have to literally think to see a wall. I actually extend the metaphor and I think when I see a wall, I I I get other words like barrier, resistance, blockage. Those, those are kind of words or concepts come to me more than the pictures. Right. So the illicit other frames of uh, representation. Yes. Um, when you say, I see these words as a backbone, until this conversation, I never even thought of a backbone. It's for his back, you know, the actual backbone. Yes, yes. A backbone to me is a solid structure that's holding up so i don't do the translation Mm. so power of words is they do elicit not just visual representations but emotional representations Mm. so a word like um is your name must have one the very freedom well like you said i don't know what color that blank is freedom is the blanket Mm. so when i hear the word freedom i think of Release, lightness, a visual person might see a dove flying away somewhere. Yes. So that's the beauty of this language. It actually gets everybody. He's got language that's definitely visual, so backbone, wall, blanket, but then connects the visual language with the kinesthetic or the feeling. So the blanket of the very freedom He's hitting you in two different places there. He's also got movement, physical movement, which is the man. Look at this. Look how much is in this paragraph. I mm. Neither the time nor the inclination. Time, concept, inclination, movement. To explain myself to a man who rises and sleeps under the blankets, you've got physical movement, the blanket, then you've got something you can see, and very freedom. You've got feeling that I provide. That's all wrapped in one paragraph. Yes. Yeah. It's amazing. So, yeah, you're right. So, yeah, so when we say it's colourful language, I'm saying it's colourful, it's lyrical, it's physical, it's emotional in one minute, 34 seconds. And, of course, Jack delivers it as only Jack Nicholson can.
0: So how, how, how can we as mere mortals say in the in our lives whether we're in business or not in business how can we adopt some of this thinking that we're learning from this this monologue how can we apply that in our speeches or our 60 second
1: elevator speeches? it's very important so there is a a graphic i showed you so there's well, it's all history, but basically it's to look at, what, if you are going to write, and ideally you should write it to start with, not to memorize it, but just to get the feeling, mm. you look at the, the, your natural language, so you'll find that you do use words that are a particular way, and then to try and adapt. So you've got, um, in NLP or in psychology, they talk about visual, kinesthetic, auditory, visual, auditory, kinesthetic, but there's also olfactory, smells, and it's similar to kinesthetic, but it's, it's proxemics, proprioception, is getting closer, a man who rises and sleeps. So sleeping isn't really a movement. No. <laughs> you fall asleep. You don't go anywhere. So that, that's that, that's a, you know, for, so you can use language. So adding some of so this, and you've got red rag to a ball, goes like red rag to a ball. Then it could be an alarm clock to wake somebody up. It's a sound. Or it could be a throw a bucket of cold water in somebody's face. Yes. So these are three different modalities. So somewhere in the speech you might say, it's like a red rag to a ball. That's visual. Somewhere else you might say, like an alarm clock, it woke me up. That's auditory. And then you could say, it was like a splash of cold water in my face. That's kinesthetic. Yes. So that's how you try and mix it up. Don't use all the same modality. when you. And this speech is such a great example of packing everything in, including the kitchen sink.
0: Well, why do you say don't use all the same modality?
1: Because in our audiences we have a mixture of people. So we will always have a mixture of people. So, what one, one man's meat is another man's poison? Mm-hmm. So, what will be quite. It's, it's like when people say um, the modern thing is they have PowerPoints, they don't put any words on their PowerPoint. Yes. big pictures. Because the picture paints a thousand words and makes a rabbit. Well, no. Well, I don't know what the percentages are, but I always work on a rule of 25, 25, 20. I always split my own some people love pictures, but there'll be some accountants, some analytical people in the audience who want to see the numbers. They want the black and whites. They want that. So you do want to have even this one or two words on your slides for those mm-hmm. people. Um, so in disc profile, you have the D. The D person just wants a picture. They want it instantly, and the picture gives them as much as they can handle in one go. But if you have in disc that... I think D is the dominant directive, you have the influencer, you have Steady, and you have the um, person who dots the I's and crosses the T's. So you will have a mixture of all these people in your audience. So by changing modalities, you make sure you appeal to everybody because mm. that is your goal. Your goal is to get as many people as possible to understand your message.
0: Brilliant. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah,
1: it's been a full one, hasn't it?
0: yeah, it has, and you know the the lesson for me on this is or what I will walk away from this is the kind of impact that it makes um yeah. and the passion obviously comes across the acting is superb and i I highly recommend for people to watch the the clip as well to see him in action and but I think. The impact for me was I nearly believed him, you know, because it was so powerful, the language that he used, but the emotion and how he delivered it, I kind of went, yeah, well, I can't argue with any of what he just said. So I'm kind of on his side now, but really he's done a bad thing, so maybe, yeah, he should go down.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, well, well, I love it all. The good thing about the uh, Michael and Michael podcast is we get – we get. As we just said, different viewpoints. Because I think um, the hero is a Lieutenant Junior Robert's Caffey, because he just stuck to his guns, and refused to be hypnotized by the language, and it was yes. not an easy thing because he was a junior officer. So yeah, that's pretty that's really good. And um, yeah, I'm gonna. I'm thinking maybe I should watch that film again.
0: Yeah, me maybe. too. Definitely. <laughs>
1: yeah. Really good. So I think we're about um, wrapped up. And again, as happens with this podcast, when we've done it, I think I should have gone and to this again because it sounded quite interesting.
0: Most definitely.
1: Thank you, Michael. Right. Thank you, Michael. I've been Michael Donnan Smith.
0: And I've been Michael Groot,
1: And we've been sharing with you the story of a speaker.